The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore, almost all of Chapter 6 is taken up by a nighttime combat encounter with a group of marauding hobgoblins that surround the party and attack while they are sleeping. While the PCs avoid being surprised, and do eventually defeat their enemies, the Dice Gods do not smile upon them during the battle. Both Gyrios and Raydel the Ranger take severe wounds, and both men come very close to losing their lives. In the morning, the exhausted companions loot the corpses of their attackers and limp their way back into the Kazmirioth mountain range, beginning the third and final leg of their journey to the Eye in the Fire at the base of the Cloudspur Mountain. Chapter 47 Part 1 Day 61 Late Afternoon Elevation 5,000 feet above sea level Party status Harl, 21 of 26 hit points Gyrios, 16 of 27, having cured himself for 5 points Eridine, 10 of 14 Umura, 17 of 18 Rumblebell 11 of 11. Raydel, 11 of 16, having been cured by Gyrios for three points. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Charm Person, Levitate, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Bless. Rumblebell has memorized Detect Magic and Protection from Evil. After breaking their fast on dried rations, the companions silently collected their gear and left the ruined supply depot where they had sheltered for the night. There was nothing of use or value in the ruin. Anything that might have been there had long ago gone to rot or been taken by the various denizens that stalked this part of Merith. Yesterday's rain clouds had passed sometime in the middle of the night but had left the craggy range of the Kazmirioth dotted with puddles, pools, and muddy patches. Far off in the distance, the ghostly shape of the cloud spur could be seen behind the jagged line of mountaintops. It did not take long before Rumblebell, predictably, began to express himself. Ugh, my bunions are hurting. Wetness of my boots makes it worse. Aren't we going to take a break sometime soon? Raydell suddenly began to giggle. <laughs> the sound seemed completely out of place given their poor spirits and the bleak surroundings. What's so funny, Ranger? inquired the artificer. It would appear my old friend is back. 
Before, I thought he might have just been visiting, but now I see he is here to stay. Hail and well met. Shut your hole. Don't say it. Snapped the dwarf. Come, come. It's rude to ignore your friends when they walk into a room, you know. What on earth are you talking about? Interrupted Umura. The sorceress was walking beside Rumblebell. Just the return of an old friend. Rado, please. Master Grumblebelly. Have you been introduced to the others, Grumblebelly? This is Umura, and there's Girios, Aradin, and Harl up front. Say hello. Shut up! <laughs> Everyone shared a laugh at this, and just like that, the dour spirits of the previous day vanished. Raydel patted Grumblebelly, as he would thenceforth be known, on the head, and whistled while he made his way to the front of the line. Grumblebelly flinched away and scowled after him resentfully. After a quick conversation with Harl, Raydel trotted ahead and was soon out of sight. When Gyrios asked Harl where the ranger had gone, it was Grumblebelly who provided the answer. There's a bridge to the north. It can save us a day's travel. Raydel has gone to make sure it's still there. Oh, that is wonderful news, commented Gyrios. A few hours later, they spotted the ranger leaning against a boulder. When he saw them, he nodded and motioned ahead. Just beyond where he waited was a platform of ancient dwarven construction. The platform stuck out over a thousand-foot drop into wind-swept nothingness. Some distance across the expanse of air, at least 100 feet away, was another platform of basalt masonry built at roughly the same altitude. Slung between the pair of platforms was a bridge made entirely of chain. As they drew close, Gyrio studied the bridge and felt a growing sense of anxiety. Each of the iron lengths in the chain was bigger than his hand and as thick as his wrist, but it did not seem especially safe. How old are these chains? Can they bear our weight, do you think? Perhaps it is better to go the long way around. No, replied Harl. This is our path, Gyrios. Just then the wind picked up and the entire length of chain slowly undulated like the body of a snake, making a weird wobbling and dull tinking sound as it rippled. Then the wind died down and the bridge settled into grim silence once again. Gyrios licked his lips nervously. But how can we be really sure? He repeated. Once again it was Rumblebell who provided an answer. This bridge is very old, as you have guessed, Cleric. But what you do not know is that it was made by dwarven artificers and possesses the enchantments of dwarven magic. Artificer. Gyrios tried out this new word. What is an artificer? Dramatis Personae, Bayun Rumblebell, a.k.a. Grumblebelly. Grumblebelly is a third-level artificer. The artificer is a homebrew NPC class for Tale of the Manticore that might be considered wizard-adjacent. Artificers craft items and have the special ability to infuse them with permanent enchantments. They also have limited access to spells. A complete write-up of the class can be found on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com if you'd like to read it over. Short even for a dwarf, Grumblebelly stands 3 foot 8 inches tall. He is exceptionally round, however. While the average dwarf weighs about 150 pounds, Grumblebelly is a girthy 190. He keeps his silver beard waxed and tapered to an up-curving point. Even when traveling, he opts for comfortable clothes. He never wears armor and carries only a dagger for protection. He is a historian, teacher, craftsperson, and cartographer. He has little interest in, and less capacity for, martial prowess. Furthermore, Grumblebelly is not young. At almost 270 years of age, the dwarf is past his prime, 
and is beleaguered by arthritis, back pain, and a host of other assorted minor maladies of the kind that accompany older age. Grumblebelly is well-respected among the scholars of Thangar. He comes from good stock, and his family is wealthy. He frequently socializes with people of importance in the Citadel, one of whom is Holgna Ringlock's son. The dwarf is also partial to the ranger, Raydel Clearbrook, whom he finds extremely competent and trustworthy, despite his penchant for merciless teasing. There is one more thing we must know. Grumblebelly has a secret. As a historian and an artificer of considerable ambition, he is excited even by what he considers to be the very slim chance of finding the fabled lost vault. Privately, he is more than a little skeptical of the mission and would be unsurprised to find nothing at all when they reach their destination. However, he is not so old as to have given up on his dreams. Grumblebelly's wish is to create a few artifacts of real value and power before he is too old to practice his craft. But in order to do so, he needs to find some rare jewels. Dwarven artificing requires very large gemstones as the basis for its creations. Not only are such gems hard to come by, but they are well outside even Grumblebelly's considerable financial reach. If the adventurers he currently travels with have really found Blacknell's vault, there is sure to be a wealth of viable stones within. Grumblebelly has decided to be on the lookout for these, and to take them for himself if he can do so covertly. He doesn't consider himself a thief so much as a concerned historian and deserving artist, so far denied the actualization of his potential. Right, it's <laughs> Cowie Norland Vex's gaming Rexes or whatever it is. Thanks for the intro, Dave. I'm Steve, host of All Anthrex's Gaming Vexes, a podcast documenting my ongoing mission to run or at least play all of the RPGs that I seem to be incapable of stopping myself buying. And you'll see me uh, frequently uh, fiddling with something in my hands. Each episode, I get together with a group of fellow gamers that have either played a game I've run or who've GM'd a game for me. We chat through what we've enjoyed about the game and some ways we could have improved the experience whilst making a series of terrible jokes along the way. Was it hot chat action? Sometimes we con game designers who really should know better to come along and talk to us about their games and maybe run an actual play segment to give us an idea of their vision for their game. I've told this story before for anyone. Our topics range from old school favourites like RuneQuest through to some of those newfangled narrative games all the cool kids talk about. When you listen, I want you to feel as though you're sitting around our gaming table, taking part in our post-game chat and helping dispose of the last of the crisps and ale. I'll just wax my bowstring and think about the death of the tainted. Oh no, eight, nine, eight. So, if you like listening to people droning on excitedly about games in a range of regional British accents, All Anthrex's Gaming Vexes is the pod for you, and you'll find it on your podcasting app of choice. On occasion, you may even hear something really insightful, but I'm making no promises. Over to you, Dave. Point to Bonkses and make it a Titan. <laughs> Keep it tight. Although I broadly described Sov's recent movements in episode 42, I think I need to revisit his progress. Sov is in a race with the player characters to see who can reach Blacknell's vault first. Assuming, of course, that there is anything to find on the eye in the fire. 
Sav isn't aware that he has any competition in reaching the secret place, so his movements will be determined and uninterrupted, yes, but also a little slower and more careful. The companions, on the other hand, are willing to take certain risks in order to hasten their progress, and of course, they have the benefit of guides and maps. It's going to come down to the wire, so I don't want to gloss over the details. Let's quickly check in with Sav and determine his exact whereabouts. I'll track his movements, allocating a certain number of days for him to travel from point to point on the map of Merith. Sav has been on a long journey, but he is very close to his goal now. Let's rewind to day 40. On this day, Sav took leave of Barak Ironskin and the High Forge, walked through the foothills and into Burk. He would have noticed, even before he could smell the tannery, that a large-scale construction, or, more precisely, the preparations for large-scale construction, were underway. These preparations included the erection of what Sav took to be temporary wooden palisades. Sav paid all this no mind and entered the town. He passed the night in the King's Purse Inn and hired a wagoner to drive him to Wilmington the following day. The driver was a good-natured man named Alfren who smoked incessantly. Since Sav paid double his asking price, Alfren agreed to take him on as a lone passenger. The pair arrived in Wilmington on day 43. On the same day, miles and miles to the southeast, the party was dealing with a run-in with the grizzly bear. In Wilmington, Sav resupplied and joined a small convoy of horse merchants headed to Zesha. This trip took a full week, and Sav did not enter the Zacian territory until day 51. Day 51 is the day Harl and the companions defeated Sourtongue, the fearsome mistress of the swamp, by the way. Getting back to Sav, he and the horse merchants made for the great city of Chahal, outside of which could be found Castle Anuxon, one of the estates belonging to Umura's family. In Chahal, Sav bought several weeks' worth of provisions and rested at an inn. He departed the next day. From Zesha, Sav traveled on his own to the foothills. Without a mount, this trip took him two days. As Sav was arriving at the foothills, the party arrived at the Thangarian shrine to Grunmog, where Harald decided to ask for help with the poem and the riddle. This is where it gets interesting. The final leg of Sav's journey will be through the Kazmirioth mountain range. Sav is disciplined and intelligent, but he is no pathfinder. From here on, it will be slow going. Barak has given him directions, but he won't really need them until the final day. The Cloudspur, crowned by the ruins of the Egojin, are an obvious landmark. From the direction he travels, Sav will not lose sight of it for long, even when he descends into valleys. It will take him five to seven days to reach Black Nail's vault. I'll roll a d6. On a roll of one to two, it will take him five days. On a three or four, six days. On a five or six, it will take him the full week. This roll is extremely important because the characters, even led by experts, will need a full week to reach the same place, barring unexpected delays, that is. There is a two in three chance that the party will arrive too late, but there is a one in three chance that they will arrive at the Eye in the Fire and Blacknail's Vault, all on the very same day. Here's the roll. Hmm. I think I'll just keep that result to myself. Chapter 47, Part 2, Day 61, Late Afternoon. Party status. The party status is unchanged. The Skundavar, said Grumblebelly. The Bridge of the Wind, that is her name, and I have always wanted to see her. 
A marvel of dwarf and ingenuity, is she not? Behind the swaying bridge, beyond the next mountain, the pale spire of the cloud spur pierced the sky. Impressive as it was, Gyrios was not looking at the cloud spur. He swallowed hard as another gust of wind sent a ripple from one end of the chain bridge to the other and then lifted the midsection so that it bulged out like the hem of a woman's gown. The cleric felt an unpleasant lightness begin in his belly. He didn't want to think about what he would soon be required to do. At least it's not raining anymore, offered Umora, trying to be helpful. Naturally, we'll cross one at a time, said Grumblebelly. You go first, said Harl. You do me great honor, young chief. Thank you. The older dwarf stepped confidently onto the chain bridge, which wobbled under his weight. Grumblebelly looked straight down. There was no floor to the bridge. It was made entirely of chain, and so there was more of empty air to the structure than iron. That's a long way down. When Grumblebelly was halfway across, a gust of wind lifted the entire length of the bridge into the air, and the dwarf along with it. He cheered from up ahead. The Skundavar was built centuries ago, when dwarven attitudes might have been described as, well, not exactly reckless, but certainly not risk-averse. That said, it is safe for dwarves to cross the bridge, basically. The chance of taking a heart-pounding thrill ride is much higher than the chance for a real accident, but that chance does exist. The bridge construction involves three main lines of chain, arranged in a V. They're connected to each other with a kind of webbing of smaller chains. By holding onto the outer chains and walking on the central one, passage is achieved. Sometimes winds will blow the whole structure up and out like a sling, but as long as one is holding on tight, the danger is minimal. This construction was not built for humans, however. It is altogether too small, and the handholds are too low. For these reasons, they will be at a greater risk if the winds pick up mid-crossing. Mechanically, here's how it will all work. Characters will cross the bridge one at a time, beginning with Grumblebelly and ending with Raydel and Eredin, who will cover their crossing with their bows, in case anything attacks while they are not easily able to defend themselves. For each character, as they cross, I'll roll a d20. The lower the number, the higher the winds. A 1 on the die means that an extremely strong gust of wind threatens the crosser. Any other low number that is not a 1 on the die will indicate a harrowing close call, as the bridge and the character on it are lifted by the wind, but that character will not be in actual danger. If a one is rolled, the bridge crosser will need to save versus death or be blown right off the bridge. Umora has a spell of levitation she might use on herself if this happens, but anyone else would plummet to their death. Because the bridge is built for dwarves, they will save with advantage. Finally, I've decided that this set piece encounter will take the place of weather, stumble upon, and wandering encounter rolls for the day. Okay. Let's get those dice out. Grumblebelly is first, rolling a d20. A 14. The crossing is completed safely, and everyone else feels a little more confident. Next is Harl, rolling that d20. A 2. An errant gust of wind pulls the bridge wildly to the side. Harl, caught right in the middle, holds on for dear life. Then, just as quickly as it came, the wind subsides. Harl scrambles the rest of the way across, red-faced, uttering a non-stop stream of curses. After Harl is Gyrios. After what he just witnessed, the cleric is terrified. 
Rolling. A 16. Even though the trip across is uneventful, Gyrios arrives at the other side several shades paler than normal and with tears in the corners of his eyes. Umura is next. I've got a 17. The sorceress gets to the other side safely. Now it's Aradine's turn. Rolling again. Another two. From the other side, Gyrios cries out, Aradine, no! As another invisible blast of air lifts, tosses, and twists the entire length of the bridge. Aradine holds on with all she's got, while the serpentine structure looks as though it will buck her off. She makes the mistake of looking down and sees three of her arrows, dumped from her quiver, quickly disappearing into the void below. Fear seizes her brain, her stomach flips, and she squeezes her eyes shut until the wind dies down. Some moments later, white-knuckled, she reaches the far side. She throws herself into Gyrios' open arms, sobbing. Thank you, Mazagar. You are all right. Raydell crosses last, rolling a d20. It's a 17. Raydell does not want to share Eridine's experience. Somehow, he times his passing so that he crosses between the strongest currents of air. Once he's across, Eridine, who has barely spoken a word in three weeks, perfectly expresses what almost all of them are thinking. We are Chapter 47, Part 3, Day 62, Dawn, Elevation, 5,000 feet above sea level, Party Status, Harl, 22 of 26 hit points, Gyrios, 17 of 27, Eridine, 11 of 14, Umura, 18 of 18, Grumblebelly, 11 of 11. Raydell. 12 of 16. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Charm Person, Levitate, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds times 2 and Bless. Grumblebelly has memorized Detect Magic and Protection from Evil. The companion spent the night under the shelter of a natural stone arch, reliving the bridge crossing of the day before in their dreams. In the morning, they awoke to the steady cadence of Gyrios's prayers. Those familiar with his rituals thought they could detect a degree of slightly increased intensity in the cleric's voice. The sun rose into a clear blue sky. From this distance, the cloud spur dominated the vista. It was immense, and towered far above even the largest of the other mountains in the range. Grumblebelly told them they should arrive at their destination by nightfall. How tall is the Cloudspur? asked Umora. 37,000 feet, give or take, replied Grumblebelly, pulling on his boots. I've always wanted to come here, you know. Have you never? Why not? inquired Umora. Too dangerous, came the reply. Much too dangerous. We're in giant country now. Speaking of which... We had best be careful today. Eyes sharp, Raydell. You too, Eridine. Eridine nodded, slipping her short bow off her shoulder and drawing an arrow from her quiver. I will scout ahead, said Raydell. We should reach the Five River in the next few hours. Before the party continues their trek to the Eye, where they hope to find Blacknell's vault, Gyrios will use one of his Cure Light Wounds spells on himself. Yet another weak roll, just three points. 
This brings him to 20 hit points. You'll save the other spell for later, just in case. This day, day 62, will be the final day of travel before the journey is complete. I need to make my usual rolls for hex crawling. Here goes. For weather. An 18. The beautiful morning sun continues to shine, bright and warm, all day. A light wind cools their skin. With such a perfect day, everyone's spirits are buoyed. I'm skipping the usual stumble upon roll because I've decided that Raydell is about to discover something noteworthy. Lastly, wandering encounters. It was remarkable how quietly he could move. By the time they heard Raydell's approach, he was a mere stone's throw away. They watched his lithe form as it bounded up the rocky slope towards them. I have good news and ill, he said as they met. There was a light sheen of perspiration on his brow, but his breathing was regular, and he spoke without difficulty. I have found the Five River. Your maps are good, old Rumble Boots. I'll grant you that. We'll arrive shortly. Grumble Boots, now is it? Peace, Artificer, soothed Harl. Raydell, what is this ill news? Yes, I found a... Well, perhaps it'll be easier if I just show you. Follow me. They did so. The ranger led them back down the rocky incline, then along a ledge that hugged the mountainside. After, they navigated the sheer drop of a natural wall. This they did carefully, using Harl's rope to ensure everyone's safety. The going got easier after that, and they traversed the closest thing to easy ground the mountain range had yet to offer them. All the while, the colossal Cloudspur Mountain towered over them, filling the sky with its immensity. Raydell motioned ahead, and, by and by, they heard the sounds of moving water. The Fire River, said Umura. Raydell looked back and nodded. Five minutes later, they arrived at the bank of the river. Here, it was barely more than a stream, just 15 feet across and only a few feet deep. It meandered away to the east, eventually disappearing underground. A little wild grass grew along the riverbank, among the pebbles, and Raydell jogged ahead to crouch down beside it. He frowned, pointing down. It was quite clear what he had meant by ill news earlier. Some of the grass had been flattened, pushed into an imprint in the pebbly bank. It was a footprint, roughly shaped like the bare foot of a man. But this footprint was made by no man. It easily measured 20 inches from heel to toe. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you like what you've heard and would like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. I have a new rules ultralight RPG called One Shot in the Dark that you can buy for the price of a cup of coffee on DriveThruRPG. Another way to support the show is to leave a rating or review on your podcatcher. I truly appreciate each and every one. I'd like to read one from the Podcast Addict app. This one was posted from Simon J.H. Williams. Simon writes, An excellent podcast, half audiobook, half actual play. Tale of the Manticore uniquely tells a dark fantasy that captivates right from the start. If you like TTRPGs and or dark fantasy, then you should really check it out. Thanks a million for that review, Simon. Thanks also for the incredible character portraits you've sent in. Your vision of the characters is eerily similar to my own. 
For listeners who are curious to see them, they're posted on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com, along with a bunch of other show-related materials. Continuing in the roles as Grumblebelly and Raydell, I'd like to thank James Schrall from the excellent Subclass Act podcast and Bruno of the Chronicles of the Crimson Hound YouTube channel. Bruno is trying something unique and very cool with his show. Instead of rotating players, he rotates DMs. Definitely worth checking out. If you'd like to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter at ManticoreTale or on Instagram at Tale of the Manticore Podcast. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Lately, I'm collecting questions for a potential future mailbag episode. Write me if there's anything you'd like to know. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Well, hello there, young adventurer. I've been waiting for you. We've met before, don't you remember? Ah, no worries. I'm quite forgetful myself. The other sparks are waiting for you. Leviath, Shuey, Theo, and Brandy. They've had such wonderful tales to tell. A truly marvelous story. I wonder which one of them will be the chosen one. Perhaps none of them will. Perhaps it will be you. The morning's coming soon. I have to leave now. Will I see you again? I sure hope so. Is a story really a story if there's no one to tell it to? Goodbye for now, adventurer. Chosen Ones is a visual novel-style D&D podcast on YouTube that releases every Thursday at 1pm CST. Find us on Twitter at Chosen Ones D&D. Come adventure with us.